welcome to the Synergist Podcast, the most man-centered theology podcast on the internet by God's providence. Of course, I'm Nick. And I'm Thomas. And in today's episode, we'll be continuing our series asking, what is the gospel? Focusing specifically on the gospel according to Paul in his letter to the Romans. But first, as usual, we're going to continue with our uh, tradition of talking about our drinks of choice. So what you drinking tonight, Nick? Well, I found something local. I completely forgot we were recording today, and I was just going to go with some whiskey. But I figured, uh, since I live in the great state of Los Angeles, I would just use a app that would just deliver beer to my house. So I am using, or I'm drinking Golden Road Brewery's Wolf Among Weeds IPA. It's an odd, it's one of those beers I wish I had. I think it's a little on the not fresh side. But lots of lemon, lots of dank, if you're into that sort of thing and know what I mean. I'm not going to explain it because it just sounds weird if I explain it. But very citrusy, very would have been very hoppy, but still got a nice juicy kind of kind of vibe. So basically a very West Coast IPA, which I kind of like. I'm kind of in the mood for because summer's just about to kick in. What are you sipping? Hold on just a second. You said an app that delivers beer to your house. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Uh, I don't. They're not sponsoring us, so I will not be naming them. But there is an app that does deliver on the West Coast. I think it's you can get it. Uh, they deliver in San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and I think maybe Seattle. But yes, you can order beer online and have it delivered to your house in about. I got this in about twenty six minutes. What a time to be alive, folks. What a time to be alive. Well, I am drinking. I don't think, I don't know if there's anything like that here. I actually had to um, walk into the store and uh, purchase this and then drive it home. So not quite as fancy, but I am drinking, <laughs> uh, it's called Domaine Dupage, a French country ale from Two Brothers, uh, based out of Warrenville, Illinois. Um, it's a, it's. I'm not super nerdy on beers, so I can't tell you all the notes and stuff, but it's it's delicious. Um, uh, it's like just the right amount of thickness. It's like in between uh, a lager and a stout, so it's got just like a, just a little bit of a, a creamy um, feel to it, and the taste is just uh, super crisp and delicious. So this is Domaine Dupage French Country Ale, um, and mm. I would highly recommend it. That sounds delightful. I don't think I've seen it out here. I wonder if it's more of a uh, Midwest staple. I'll have to keep my eyes open for that, because that sounds really good. Yeah, it probably is. It, it, I look for the local section whenever I can. Ah, gotcha. Well, cool. Uh, well, as usual, we started a tradition of telling uh, really bad pastor jokes in a segment that we call Really Bad Pastor Joke. Uh, and so we'll continue with that. I'll go ahead and start out as usual. We have not shared our jokes with each other so that we can record our honest reaction. Uh, I'll be honest today, this is not an original joke. I didn't make it up myself, but I still think it uh, it fits within the category of a really bad pastor joke. So you may have heard this one before, um, right. but I think it's pretty good. And given the fact that uh, I'm still a, a new parent of a new baby and we're working through nursery issues, it uh, it hits close to home. So my joke for you, Nick, my question is, what is the theme verse for the church nursery? Oh, I'm actually really scared. What? It comes from 1 Corinthians 15.51, where Paul writes, We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That silence was not edited. Uh, I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> that is probably the worst bad pastor joke I think I've ever heard. Except for these two, which I'm going to read to you. 
<laughs> right, so here we go. I've got I've got I've got two. One is really esoteric and I apologize to the five people that'll get it. How do you trigger a reformed Baptist? Oh man, how? You make plans on Sunday. <laughs> okay, I, I can't explain it. If uh... someone really wants to know, I, I can I can answer it. Just send us a tweet at and uh, or send me a tweet and we'll I'll, I'll explain it. Here's the one that's probably a little more obvious. When you're and it's not a oh yeah here we go. When you are in a coffee shop, how can you tell a Calvinist apart from an Arminian when neither one is speaking? Oh man, how? You ask about the Grace Coffee Blend and ask if it is free. Whoever gives you a free theology lecture is the Calvinist. <laughs> But, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. I want at least a few uh, people got it. But. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. We'll, uh, it, it, maybe if, if we've got people who, uh, well, yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, so let's, uh, let's catch up on some, some life updates. I know it's been a little while since we've gotten, uh, our last episode out. We've fallen a little bit behind of our goal of every two weeks, but, uh, life has been pretty insanely busy. Um, last time we talked, I was getting ready to head out and do uh, my, my two weeks with the National Guard. So that's since been done. Um, good time, very busy. Uh, it was, you know, we were out sleeping in uh, in barns and working in cold weather and rain. Uh, but it was it was good training, uh, really good ministry. Got to uh, have some really good interaction with uh, some soldiers and help, um, I feel, uh, you know, deliver, deliver the love of Jesus to some of our uh, National Guard soldiers there. So really good time. Uh, it was It was good to be there. Long days, but definitely good to be be back with the family and start getting into uh, a normal swing of life again. Which uh, I don't think we've figured out normal since our son's been born. It's sort of been um, <laughs> all up in the air. But yeah, you know, other than that, uh, things are good. Not not sleeping as much as I would like, but that's that comes with the territory. So uh, how about you? You've got some good news. Yeah, I got the pastoral job I've been intimating and hinting at, and so. Yeah, I start that on May 8th. Uh, it's a Baptist church out in Redlands, about maybe 10 minutes east of San Bernardino. Uh, so if anyone's in the area and wants to meet up with me or come to the church, uh, First Baptist Church of Redlands. Uh, yeah, so that started, and I'll be a Associate Pastor of Spiritual Formation and Development. I believe that's the official title. I should remember, but I think that's what it is. That's awesome. And basically, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's basically basically uh, community development and uh, teaching pa- a teaching pastor role. So that's pretty Sounds cool. Sounds right up your alley. Yes. Uh, so it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a, it's a nice to get a job at somewhat in my field. So it's kind of nice, as you know, not a lot of great pastor jobs out there. So yeah. and uh, yep. yep. Are you gonna say something? No, I'm just, uh, congratulations, man. That, that's excellent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, for some reason I heard some feedback, so that was kind of weird. Anyway, but yeah, uh, so I start that on May 8th, and uh, looking forward to seeing what God does. Uh, also, a shout-out to the Mini and Stu Cigar Review. It's a, well, it's what it sounds like. It's a cigar review YouTube channel that my friend uh, Stu, uh, I call him, you know, I call him Stu, that's not his real name. But he was a buddy of mine at film school and was one of the best men in my wedding. And so he started a cigar review channel on YouTube, and he gave us a nice shout-out. I am Pastor Nick, is the person he makes fun of relentlessly for drinking, quote, fruity beers. And so if you're into cigars, uh, it's a great little great little show, and uh, I highly recommend. Go follow them uh, on YouTube. Well, hey, uh, 
we'll we'll take any publicity we can get. We think we're uh, we think we're sharing some good things, and it, it's nice to get validation from from other folks. So yeah, definitely big thanks to them. Uh, as we mentioned in the beginning, in today's episode of the Synergist, we will be talking about Paul's use of the gospel, specifically in uh, his letter to the Romans. In our last couple of episodes, we talked about how. Uh, the word and the idea of the gospel was used in the gospels, uh, the the four stories about Jesus's life, as well as the book of Acts. Um, and up to this point, it's been pretty clear that uh, for a Jewish or, or mostly Jewish audience, the gospel that was being proclaimed was centered on Jesus and his rightful place as God's promised Messiah, uh, God's promised King. Uh, the gospel then, as it's been used in Christian circles, including reform circles, sort of centers on certain reform distinctives about soteriology, how we get saved, rather than the the entire breadth of the New Testament witness, which uh, as we've seen as, and as we're going to continue to see uh, in this episode and the ones that follow, is far more broad and, and compelling than simply... Uh, going to heaven when we die, or avoiding hell, or or even justification. Uh, it's its just much broader than that. Exactly. And, and the reason this is, uh, well, providential, is that you have the uh, Together for the Gospel Conference happening, I believe it's sometime this year. I don't have the exact dates in mind. But, and so, it, it's really fortuitous that it kind of, our series on the gospel coincide with, well, the conference called Together for the Gospel. I think it was Al Mohler, Lincoln Duncan, and there's like a bunch of other guys who've formed what, you know, if you see the hashtag T, T the letter 4G, that's basically together for the gospel. And it's and it's a theologically narrow kind of pastoral crew that have a, a list of distinctives that don't look anything like we've seen in the gospel or Acts so far. So, I mean, what I mean by that is distinctives like the imputation of Christ's righteousness or the doctrine of inerrancy or male headship or patriarchy. Uh, propitiation and a certain view of the atonement or just any sort of other American fundamentalist or really conservative reform perspectives. And what makes this interesting is that this, this conference and other things is called together for the gospel, but the gospel, as we've seen, there's no language in their doctrinal statement or list of affirmations that looks anything like what we've seen in the synoptic gospels or the gospel of John or the book of Acts. And so, it's short, if, in short, if you've heard it once, I, I don't think they've nuanced their hard-edged assertions this time. And what makes it more difficult is when we kind of talk about gospel without defining and explaining what the gospel is, the gospel can therefore become something like literally male headship or Calvinism, as opposed to what the actual gospels tell us the gospel is. Yeah, and that's really important. Everybody knows that the idea of gospel is important, and so if you can, um, if you can co-opt the word gospel uh, and make it synonymous with your pet uh, doctrines, then you can sort of um, bully your way around and, and tell other people that unless they share your core doctrines, and they're not they're not preaching the gospel, um, and, and that uh, that becomes problematic as as we're going to see later. Uh, it's interesting, like you mentioned, even in their list of distinctives, they don't actually define what the gospel is. They they hint at it here and there, uh, this, this, despite the fact that they use the word over 40 times. Um, uh, it, you know, it, and so it ends up sort of, they become, it, it's almost like they're offering uh, water instead of wine, or in, in our case, beer. Um, and so we, we just <laughs> want to make sure that our, our listeners are warned that, uh, just because you see somebody asserting that something is or is not the gospel, um, unless 
they they define that and define it holistically and biblically, looking at the entire New Testament witness. Um, you, you ought to be careful just because it's a word that can be um, so often co-opted and so often used sort of like a, uh, a billy club to, to force uh, certain pet doctrines uh, of, of a given um, theological position. Right, and, and so what we're saying is the gospel, according to the New Testament, is bigger than Reformed theology or Arminian theology or whatever perspective or tribe or idea you have on Christian doctrine. And basically what you and I have been talking about for a long time is kind of the, and this is not to single out T4G exclusively, there are other organizations that do do this, but it's this sort of imprecise marketing-driven language that doesn't provide a basic explanation uh, of what of what the gospel is, and it runs the risk, as we I think we've seen, of pushing us apart rather than uniting us on what the gospel actually is, because what gets wrapped up in this sort of language of gospel are issues, as we as we mentioned, like certain views of inerrancy or male headship or all these other things. And so it becomes this kind of easy way of sectioning people off rather than bring us together under the, the, the Lordship of Christ, which is the gospel, as we'll see. Exactly. Uh, and it's worth noting, um, as, as we're talking about this, that the entire leadership of uh, T4G, Together for Gospel, uh, it's all white, male, reformed, complementarian speakers. Mitt. Hold on. Well, maybe not all white. I think they've got. Um, uh, um, who am I missing? It, for the most uh, part, is it? Yeah, for, uh, there, there, there. I know there are. There's uh, Eric Mason and others. I think are involved. So yes. Yeah. But for the most part, definitely all male. Definitely all reformed. Um, definitely all complementarian. And for the most part, white. Um, and so, if you're talking about together for gospel, but you don't have holistic representation of uh, of the church, it, it's problematic. Um, it, there's there's just not a lot of diversity um, within their representation, and therefore, I think we're gonna what we're gonna see is um, a very narrow definition of what the gospel is. And like you said, it 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 almost divides instead of unites. Um, you know, when we don't see any uh, women present in leadership, when we see very little um, in terms of ethnic diversity, and when we see uh, very little in terms of theological diversity, um, when we know that the gospel really is broader than just those things. Yeah, it, it makes the gospel a partisan event versus something that unites us. And I, I think that's something you and I are going to see today as we talk about Romans. Uh, and so basically what we're asking today, what is just to recapitulate, what is Paul's gospel? That is the gospel uh, according to the letter of the Romans. And hopefully by the end of this episode, we'll have answered this question in a way I think that both kind of clarifies Paul's own kind of nuances, what he does differently, and gives it, and I think essentially what gives us a way of living the gospel, that is an ethical life, that kind of eschews the, the easy sloganeering and the denominational backbiting and the, the kind of crass consumer, this is going to sound bad, the, crash, the crass commercialism of uh, organizations like T4G that kind of perpetuate this sort of complementarianism as the gospel or Calvinism as the gospel. No, the gospel is the gospel, guys. Come on. <laughs> uh, somebody's a little bit sassy today. Well, according to them, God made me this sassy. So. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, he, he did what he could with what he had. Oh, now you sound like a liberal. Get away from me with that. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> if you look at my Twitter bio, I am a centrist black hole. Okay, I'm a centrist I'll, black I'll hole. Drink, I'll drink to the black hole, so keep, <laughs> take, a, take I, us away, my friend. I try to be an equal opportunity offender as often as I can. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So what we're going to see as we look at this is that um, Paul uses the, the, the word for gospel and relative words, um, you know, verbs and nouns, uh, over 70 times in the New Testament. So obviously we're, we're not going to do an in-depth look at every use of the word. We're going to try to take a um, sort of a big picture view like we did in Acts um, to, you know, it, it would take basically a dissertation to look at all 75 instances. And, and I don't know if anybody wants to listen to us talk about that for three hours. Maybe, maybe some of you do, um, but many of you don't. So not everyone's a theology nerd like us. That, that, that is very true. We've got to keep that in mind. We have, uh, we have some people who listen to this that actually have other lives. This um, is true. Um, you so mean not we everyone gotta, gotta argues on the internet like we do? Not everyone argues <laughs> on the internet? <laughs> oh man, uh, right, right. I, um, I feel like that was uh, that, I feel like that was aimed directly at me, but uh, maybe I deserve that. Oh, you're talking to the guy who spent entire days just arguing with one person, literally sitting <laughs> at the computer waiting for that one little notification, just so I'd feel validated by sitting there. So, <laughs> no, I'm I'm including myself in that boo boo. Uh, hi, my name is Thomas, and I'm an internet debater. <laughs> Uh, Hi, Thomas. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so the focus of this episode, like we've said, uh, we're going to center specifically on Romans, um, partly because Romans, uh, it's not the first letter of Paul's, it's not the earliest letter of Paul's, but it is sort of considered by many to be Paul's magnum opus, uh, his final work. It's it, it's almost a work of systematic theology. It's it's not quite, but it, it it's the closest we get to a systematic theology from Paul. Um, what we know about Romans, it was probably written towards the end of his life. Uh, it's difficult to pin down exactly uh, when he wrote it, exactly where he wrote it, but it was one of his later works as he's sort of synthesizing um, years of gospel ministry uh, throughout the Mediterranean basin, uh, as we're going to see later, probably as he's preparing to, to try to um, drum up some support uh, to go to Spain. Yeah, ask any Pauline scholar about... Uh, you know, dating and and all these sorts of things. You know, the technical issues that Paul doesn't specifically tell us, and you're going to get multiple different uh, answers. Hey, and both of those, yep. Why would we ask a Pauline scholar about dating? Do they have dating insight? That um, well, I mean, uh, they're on eHarmony too. I mean, you can't hold it against them. They just because <laughs> they don't get out much, you know. Sorry, I I, no. I, I couldn't help my, my my punster self couldn't couldn't withhold i'm sorry i'll, I'll stop no, you, 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 you do what you can with what you got you know i'll, I'll give that <laughs> right, that's fine. okay but yeah okay, you, okay. you ask you ask any pauline nerd and you'll get two different answers and both of them are probably wrong but uh and, and so uh any yeah pick up any book on pauline chronology when he wrote these letters none of them put romans at the beginning usually they put it towards the end uh, of paul's life and that's entirely based on how we construct the few little pieces of data we have Right, but that's that's not really why. Uh, so it makes Romans so beloved by Christians around the world. Um, you know, I, really, I think the reason that we all love Romans so much is because you know most of us were raised uh, within some version of Protestantism, and and Romans is like the it is uh, the the banner book um, for Protestantism, especially uh, if it's read within the the lens of 16th century Protestantism. Um, uh, but but what we're going to see, if, if you ask anyone what Romans is about, uh, most people will probably say the gospel. But then uh, if you press them on that, they're going to you know answer things like justification or election, uh, because as Protestants, we're, we're rather obsessed uh, with that idea. 
Yeah, Romans is is the battleground, basically, for most theological disputes in the New Testament. Whether people are debating the salvation of Israel, election, predestination, justification, works of law, the fate of Israel, and all these sorts of things, all these sorts of little theological bits that we won't be discussing today, but that's kind of what Romans is basically the fountainhead of all theological disputes. But instead of all those little fun bits we just talked about, instead we want to tackle what Paul means when he uses the word gospel, specifically in Romans. But we're just trying to give you guys kind of a history of what we're, we're waiting in a minefield right now, and we're also having a beer, which makes the waiting a lot more interesting and fun. <laughs> uh, exactly. And so we just don't have time to engage with all of the competing scholarship um, that at this time, and we're going to limit ourselves to Romans in this episode one because Romans is so large and it has so many uses, and it would just be uh, a really, really long podcast if we did um, every every use every use of Paul's um, use of the word gospel. Uh, so we're we're gonna we're gonna limit ourselves uh, basically for your sakes, and we'll make these a series of episodes instead of doing it all uh, in one. Yeah, we're we're all loving here on the synergist, so don't say we ever never did nothing for you guys. So <laughs> that's right, that's right. All right, and so as we already briefly mentioned the the language, the idea of of being obsessed with say justification, for example, you can see the sort of narrow theological reading of scripture at work uh, in Romans, particularly, especially in light of what we've been exploring through the Synoptic Gospels and the Book of Acts. And so I just want to read kind of rep- a representative uh, bit from. Dr. Robert Godfrey at Ligonier Ministries, and of course, you know, tip your hat out to the late R.C. Sproul, may he rest in sleep and peace until the day of the resurrection. And Dr. Godfrey writes, quote, in other words, sometimes, this is in his survey of what, go- what the gospel is, so here we go, in quote, uh, in other words, sometimes the term gospel refers broadly to Jesus' work of justification and sanctification for and in his people, and sometimes it refers narrowly to Jesus' work of justification. And end quote. Now, there's something both simply true and simply simplistic about this conclusion. Uh, first, it kind of front loads the conversation we're having about the word euangelion, the gospel. And as Thomas already mentioned, kind of imputes or infuses reformed ideals about what the New Testament is talking about that aren't germane to the discussion. Paul's not thinking about disputes with the Roman Catholic Church, for example, like you know John Calvin and other people were. So we don't have the word uh what makes this interesting specifically you know he talk, uh Godfrey talks about justification we don't have the verb to justify or to rectify dikao used in reference to gospel it's just not there so the two aren't really linked there to begin with and that means that the gospel is not necessarily about our justification or relationship with god it means i think more more in a more primary sense that the gospel is bigger something bigger than just us so the gospel is not about merely about justification, but it what this what essentially the point I'm getting at is we need to let the text of Holy Scripture speak before we start infusing it with our ideas because we all know God's at work and the gospel is something bigger than just our relationship with God. So if the gospel is not just if our argument is that the gospel is bigger than just our justification, what you're sort of getting at is that maybe we're not actually man centered. As a good synergist, I say freely, not even close. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, and so, in light of you know this whole together for the gospel thing that we were talking about earlier, and, and some of these other major Calvinists and Reformed ministries and para ministries, uh, it, 
it's sort of surprising, actually, uh, to see some helpful surveys of the data, like we see with Godfrey's survey, like you, you just mentioned. Um, but but as we see, like the the sudden pivot to certain buzzwords, like justification, it, it's sort of an indication that we've traded in certain assumptions for good, solid uh, exegesis of the text. In uh, our goal in this podcast is to avoid assuming such things. We want to... Um, like good Protestants, right? Like uh, we want to go ad fontis. We want to go back to the text and ask, what does the text actually say? And if it doesn't support, uh, you know, our, our pet ideas, then then we adjust our pet ideas to conform to the text, not the other way around. Exactly. And so let us begin with Holy Scripture. But first I'm going to take a, a sip of, of something real quick. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Beginning in Romans 1, verse 1 and 2, we see kind of an interesting challenge to the view that the gospel is concerned with justification. Uh, And so maybe one day we'll do an entire podcast episode on justification and see what we can come up with. Maybe that's something we should consider doing, actually. I definitely we should do that. Uh, It it probably uh, will will ruffle some feathers. That will, uh, it's probably a guarantee. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. boy, I hope so. All right, so Romans 1, 1 to 5 reads as follows, and this is the Nicholas Rudolph Quint translation. Uh, So here we go. Quote, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, being set apart for the gospel of God, which he announced beforehand through his prophets and the holy writings, concerning his son, the one who came into being from the seed of David according to the flesh, who was appointed son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is through him that we have obtained favor and apostleship for the obedience of faith or faithfulness among the nations for his name for the sake of his name in whom also you have been called by Jesus Christ so with all that said what do you see there thomas well clearly i mean justification justification everywhere i mean it's just clearly uh, you know everywhere. imputation everywhere. justification complementarianism um, right there complementarianism right it's here it's right, right there. there biblical inerrancy um, eternal conscious torment right uh, if you look closely you can see al molar <laughs> literally in the text right there <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so we're both a little sassy today um, now, what we see here this is this is a straightforward prophetic text paul is invoking his calling as an apostolic prophet for this gospel this euangelia this good news and paul explains exactly what he means by the gospel we see jesus uh, who is born and appointed the son of god in power he was the jewish messiah who was raised from death and crowned king and lord so right here uh, consistent with what we saw in the Gospels, consistent with what we saw in Acts, we see that the Gospel is about King Jesus, just as Scott McKnight has, uh, and, and others have told us repeatedly. Exactly, and the fact that Paul follows up this kind of Christological declaration with language about our obtaining or actively receiving favor and apostleship from God kind of leads into our lives of obedience and faithfulness because of Jesus's name. And rather, the name of the king means everything. And so, we, so in, for instance, we pledge full allegiance to King Jesus and to no other. And so, what New Testament scholar Stanley Porter at McMaster Divinity College has said in his really good linguistic commentary on Romans, uh, quote, the use of son here in Romans 1 captures language well known to the Greco-Roman world to characterize certain Caesars beginning with Julius and continuing through Augustus and others, 
and thus enforces the identification of Christ Jesus as God's son rather than Caesar. That's so good. I wish I could remember where uh, I've seen it, but at some at some point, N.T. Wright has written about this, and he's basically said what we see Paul doing is actually parodying, P-A-R-O-D-Y-I-N-G, parodying uh, the the Caesar cult, right? The Caesar worship. He's he's sort of making a parody of that in putting uh, Jesus in the place of Caesar. So even in these compressed this this compressed section of just five verses. We have the gospel proclamation, uh, as well as a sort of sort of a Pauline assault against the empire of Rome. Um, Paul identifies Jesus with God, uh, removing the rights of the emperors to claim divine sonship for themselves. Uh, and in referencing the resurrection, Paul is presupposing the death of Jesus at the hands of Rome and declaring Jesus's triumph over them as the true and rightful king. If that's not a massive middle finger, I, I don't know what is. And, 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 and this gospel, which Paul talks about so powerfully, foretold by the prophets, kind of it echo, like the prophets echo across the pages of Romans, especially as it relates to God's faithfulness in Christ to the rest of us and to our own lives of obedience and faithfulness to Christ in response to his lordship. And so this is what Paul says again in Romans 1, nine concerning the gospel of God's son. It's the announcement of Jesus as Lord, as the one who was faithful to God, when Caesar is clearly not. And so something to keep in mind when, when we go through this, and when you read Romans especially, keep the words promise, faith, and obedience in mind as we just continue on. And so, so for example, Paul talks about uh, my gospel in Romans 2.16, which is actually a gospel that judges all people on the basis of their obedience, there's that word, to God. So this gospel is something that calls people towards something, as you and I will talk about later on in the episode, you know, regarding ethics. It's a call in it or an invocation or proclamation to people to bring themselves to what God has called them to be. Exactly. And just, I mean, I know you've said this, I want to highlight it again. Paul says specifically in the beginning of this magnum opus, he says that he, the, the, the goal of the gospel is to call people to obedience uh, to Jesus, obedience to Jesus is central to the gospel. Um, that that sort of flies in the face of what many uh, in our Protestant Reform circles uh, and some Lutheran circles talk about the gospel. That that obedience is antithetical to the gospel. And, and Paul is going to say, uh, no, it's not. Um, but but what we see here is, is instead of you know, the gospel being proclaimed about Caesar. And again, remember, Paul is writing to Christians living in Rome, the seat of empire, right? Uh, and he's not writing yeah. about the gospel of Caesar. He's sort of writing, uh, he's proclaiming the gospel against Caesar. Um, and this is at a time when early Roman Christians were, were not simply interested in just going about their daily lives. Uh, you know, they couldn't ignore the threat of Caesar because Caesar controlled the very land that they walked on. Caesar owned everything. I, I can't remember which um, New Testament scholar it was, uh, but said the, the early Christians, they weren't persecuted for claiming that Jesus was Lord of their hearts, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. They were persecuted for claiming that Jesus was Lord of all, taking the place that uh, Caesar claimed for himself. Exactly. And so... And, and when people talk about the gospel in Romans, they usually have in mind Romans 1, 15 to 16. 
so it's kind of a major or pivotal text. Some people say it's the Romans 6, 116 is kind of the thesis of Romans. That's disputable, but I mean, it's not so dis- it's not so germane to the conversation that it's worth arguing about. But the text says, and I'm quoting from the CEB because I didn't get a chance to translate this myself. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power for salvation to all who have faith in God, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So again, what do we see? We see the language of active allegiance or faithfulness, that pistuo word, being a reciprocal response to God's power for salvation. And this is a, a kind of universalistic message where the only partiality shown is between those who exercise faith and those who don't. And so there's no, I mean, in, in the ancient world, the idea of, of sectioning off people like men and women, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, that's undone here because the only issue is do you have faith that Jesus is Lord, and have you given your allegiance to him? Not, are you a woman? That's not what Paul would even talk about there. Like, seriously, like, in the ancient world, you know, you're kind of stuck with it a bit. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and so w- when, we, when we think about Romans, um, without, the, without the threat of Caesar, um, we, we're bound to miss what the, what the early Roman church so desperately needed to hear. And this is, again, we've, we've mentioned this before, but we need to mention it again, that when, when we go to Scripture, when we read Scripture, we have to read it with the understanding of how the, early, the first hearers would have heard it within their own context. And so when you're writing to Christians living in Rome right under Caesar's nose, they're going to hear language of lordship and allegiance and things differently than, than we, uh, you know, most of us who are Westerners living uh, in the seat of power and on the side of power hear things. Uh, so, that, so the next section we're, we're going to look at is Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 21. Um, and it's going to take a little bit of unpacking, um, but why don't you why don't you read um, that section to us here, Nick, from from the CEB? All right, here we go. <clears throat> but what does it say? The word is close to you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faithfulness that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and faithfully trust in your heart that God raised Him from death, you will be delivered. For in your heart you exercise faithfulness unto rectification. And with the mouth a person professes unto deliverance. For the scripture says, quote, Everyone who exercises faithfulness in him will never be ashamed. For there is no distinctive preference shown to both Jew and to Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, gifting his wealthiness or his richness to all who call to him. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. So how can they call upon someone they don't have faith in? And how can they have faith in what they have not heard? How can they hear it without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel or the good news. But everyone hasn't obeyed the gospel. As Isaiah says, Lord, who has faith in our message? So faith comes from understanding, but is the, but it is the hearing, but it is hearing through the word of Christ. Well, there's, there's obviously a lot there to unpack. But, but notice again this language of pistis, faith, allegiance. Uh, now, we do have here uh, language of justification, or I think as you translated it, rectification. But as we see, this is a consequence of faithfulness. This is not some notion of, of pre-faith regeneration. Uh, God acted. We respond by exercising faithfulness. I mean, as a consequence of that, we are justified or rectified. We are we are made right with God. Um, 
But like, as, as you mentioned, not everyone has exercised faithfulness, allegiance to the gospel because of their stubbornness, according uh, as we see uh, at the end of Romans chapter 10. But, but as we see here, the, the, the justification, the rectification that's being made right with God is not the end. It's really, really the beginning. It's the beginning of a new relationship, as we're going to see um, as, uh, as we get in some of these later uh, or these other letters from Paul this new relationship as citizens of heaven with sort of a clean slate. So, so justification is not the end, it's really the beginning. I want to make sure we highlight that. Well, exactly. And and something that makes the, the text powerful, for in your heart you exercise faithfulness for or into or toward or to rectification. So faith precedes rectification, which is really interesting. It's almost like, you know, if a divorce or a separation happens between a couple, you kind of need to have faith and trust in the other person to go back to them. You know, regardless of who the party, who who's the uh, who 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 did the wrong here, but and what makes I think this so powerful is that Paul's basic contention is if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and faithfully trust in your heart that God raised him from death, you'll be delivered. And it's it's almost that's a that's a great little gospel summation right there. If you have faith in Jesus, you'll be saved. And as we mentioned before, and we'll mention again later, this is available to anyone. Everyone who exercises faithfulness in him will not be ashamed, for there's no distinctive preference. And, and it's just kind of fascinating. You see kind of echoes of, say, Ephesians in here, right? The language of the wealth of God or the riches of God or the riches of Christ or the gift of Christ being bestowed to people. For here, it's it's given to everyone who calls upon him, calls upon God. And so it's kind of odd, or it's kind of powerful, rather, to say to see that that God is incredibly faithful and generous with even the little bit that we exercise, you know what I mean? That's great, it, it, absolutely. Um, you know, it, God acts first; we respond, um, and, and based on on that response, we are we are granted this 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 rightness with God, and this rightness with God is now the the new beginning in this new community where there are a, there's a new set of of ethical guidelines. But I, I think we're I think I'm getting ahead of um, of where we're trying to go here a little too fast <laughs> well no it's it, what makes it what fascinating is you know if you read this without the lens of reformed theology or arminian theology and just let the text speak just let it do its thing it's it's just you, you we almost forget how simple theology can be in some sense right just if you exercise faith you'll be delivered and it's just kind of this almost idiomatic little just kind of thing and you just kind of go but it has to be more complicated than that what, what there has to be something more to it and it's like no for the scripture says Blah blah blah. It's it's not that difficult. It's the living out part that you and I'll talk about later that's really difficult, and you know, in terms of ethics, because not everyone agrees on ethics. But in terms of what the basic gospel is, this should be something every Christian can stand up and say together for the gospel for, and not be be like, you know, idiosyncratic with our own little ethical you know preferences. But we'll get into that later. I'm, I'm getting a little ahead too. You and I are both jumping ahead. <laughs> So let's talk about um, let's talk about Romans uh, fifteen sixteen. Um. Mm. All right, yeah, here we go. Let's see, in Romans fifteen sixteen, and and we got a few clusters of this word here. Ironically, there's no real. There's maybe one, I think there was one reference to quote the gospel word group in Romans uh, three to I think it was three to nine. But it's weird because you, know, you don't see a lot there because Romans you know nine to eleven is kind of the big you know text in Romans, but there's not a lot there. And at least in terms of the gospel. But 
it's towards the end in Romans 15 where you get a big chunk of it. And so in Romans 15, 16, Paul speaks about the priestly service of the gospel of God. And at the beginning of Romans, we talked about the calling or perhaps the vocation of Paul. And the same element, I think, is kind of present here. Men and women, uh, men and women, just making sure, are involved as priests in the proclamation of God's gospel of the resurrected Jesus. And so we're, we're talking about a holy, a holy ministry here of men and women uh, being involved in the gospel of God or the proclamation of Jesus as king. And so I, I think, uh, you know, the fact that it's men and women and priestly language means kind of a big thing, personally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and we were we were none too subtle in our last episode. No, we, we you and I are always too subtle, my friend. We're always <laughs> very subtle, very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about men and women being involved in ministry. And, and, you know, just and read through at, you know Romans chapter sixteen um, and, and see the, li- the the list of people that Paul talks about men and women who were involved in ministry and priestly services for the gospel. Um, and, and we, you know, this idea that there were, there were no preferences about who was allowed or who could or couldn't do it. Um, and, and we, you know, maybe might suggest that Paul, you know, believed this in a consistent manner and applied the same sort of thinking towards women too. Uh, Junia was an apostle, <coughs> right? Um, she, she really was an, an apostle, um, and we need to take that seriously, that the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel yeah. is entrusted to all uh, of the disciples. Amen. It's like I, I submitted an article in Romans 16 and kind of apocalyptic ecclesiology, like the, the apocalyptic church. And I'll make sure to share that with us because I make a pretty comprehensive case that what you and I are being <clears throat> very subtle about, you know, men and women being involved in the priestly ceremonies of the basic function of what it means to be the church, if I'm entirely honest, like, think, I'm going to pause on this for a sec, because this bugs me. We're talking about the basic, not even a privilege, the, the basic call to give the gospel to people, to give the good news of Jesus. And we're going to privilege this to certain people without any real, ba- I mean, Paul could have said something here. I'm not, I don't, want, by the way, I don't want women doing this, or I don't want any, I don't want, or even I don't want men doing this, you know, but he doesn't. This is something that everyone is called to participate in. And why, when Paul had every chance to say, and by the way, I don't want this type of person, I don't want them Greeks involved here, I want only Jews doing this. He could have said that. It would have been entirely antithetical to his theology. But basic point is, the fact that Paul calls all people into this apostolic vocation of giving the gospel to people, giving people the chance to know Jesus and to live a life of holiness, and in in our modern age, we're concerned with who gets to do this. And it's like, Paul said everyone. I mean, it's kind of just, again, basic theology. Paul says everyone. That, that's all I got. I mean, it's just, it, that's just everyone. <laughs> everyone. Men and yep. women. Men and, and women. women. Yes, and women. Yes, yes. and women. Yes. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Let's get back, back on back point. On, yeah, back <laughs> on point. Yeah. Paul uses a, a few more words for gospel in Romans 15, and I'll read uh, verses 17 to 20 according to my translation. Therefore, I have pride in Christ Jesus concerning the things I've done for God. For I dare not to speak of anything except what God, ha- or I'm sorry, what Christ has accomplished through me for the obedience of the nations. Wait, hold in on. For indeed. the what? Yep. For the what? For the... For the... What's oh, the next uh, one? For the obedience of the nations, or the Gentiles. The what of the nations? Oh, I'm sorry. The uh, the justification of the. Oh no, I'm sorry. The obedience of the nations. Obedience. obedience. Hmm. Hmm. 
Hmm. Yes, yes. <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. Uh, in justification, I'm sorry, in word and deed, <laughs> by, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around like Illyricum, in order that I may fully fulfill the gospel of Christ, and thus to strive earnestly to proclaim the gospel, not where Christ has been named, in order that I might not build upon another's foundation. And so, just as a side note, this is something uh, Robert Jewett has argued for, that Romans itself is a letter written up to kind of shore up support for Paul's kind of final missionary push towards Spain, kind of the outer regions of the Roman Empire. And so it's kind of one of those things where you get a sense in which Paul's kind of doing... Uh, missional like not fundraising that's a crude term for it but shoring up a fine for support for a final push to take the gospel further because he doesn't need to bring the gospel to rome at least in that sense because junia and phoebe and rufus and mary and all these other women and men in rome are already doing the gospel thing so but his thing is i need your gospel help to take the gospel to the final spot of spain and so that that kind of just throws a little wrench into the whole thing of romans is purely systematic theology it's like no romans is a, a wild animal. You can't quite tame it here. It's a lot more interesting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And we need to keep that in mind with all of the letters of the New Testament. But that's that's for another, another mini-series on the Bible. Uh, but Paul uses a really interesting verb here when he talks about to, to fully fulfill the gospel of Christ. And then he follows this up with the purpose of proclaiming the gospel beyond the Roman Empire. Um, in other words, the, the gospel of Jesus was never to end in Rome, but it was to be a springboard for for a final mission. And Paul asserts then that, that this gospel, which as we've seen over and over again, is about the lordship of Jesus, Jesus's rightful place as the, the true king, the true Messiah, the true Lord of all, um, and his resurrection, and the final announcement of what God is doing in Christ uh, by the Holy Spirit in the world. So we see already, um, you know, Paul's push to get this uh, out as far as possible. This is, is a, a global, far-reaching endeavor. And it, it kind of fulfills, I mean, people love, and this is something you and I have talked about in the past once, people kind of like to put a wedge between Paul and Jesus, you know, like Paul didn't care about Jesus. The fact that Paul talks about taking it, not he's not going to settle for Rome. He's going to settle for wherever he can finally go where there is any sort of civilization. Like Spain's on the outer reaches, you know. And so the fact that he says to get, I want to get to Spain kind of fulfills, I mean, this is basically Paul's attempt at the Great Commission, at taking the ministry of Jesus and making disciples everywhere in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what I think is so powerful about this is we get kind of this language of the power of signs and wonders. And ultimately, I think, as Paul says, by the power of the Spirit. And so Paul's got this kind of spirit pneumatology that's really powerful here because I mean, let's face it, when you're an oppressed presence in an oppressive empire where Caesar's eagle literally flies over your head, you're going to be very careful about what you say. And Paul's not being careful here. You know what I mean? He's not being careful. He's talking about the obedience of the nations or the Gentiles. He's basically saying Rome will someday, or Rome has in some sense by gathering converts, has already become obedient to Jesus. Or in other words, people have defected from Caesar to the Messiah. And I think that's really powerful. It is. It is indeed. Um, you know, again, back to that quote. I, I wish I could remember who said it, but the, yeah, they they were not they were not uh, persecuted for just making Jesus Lord of their hearts. If that's all that it was, they there would have been no need for persecution. The, their allegiance mm-hmm. to Jesus and the gospel that was being preached was something that demanded full throated 
allegiance and obedience to Jesus, oftentimes leading them into direct conflict with obedience and allegiance to um, empire. Well, it, it led them to death, and death a, a death that was as, igni- as, as evil and as profane and as uh, indeed blasphemous as the death on a cross. And so people were willing to basically, I'm willing to die like Jesus because of what Jesus is. And just, and I think a lot of times we, we kind of miss this. It's kind of like, you know, we, we sit in America and it's kind of that thing like, oh, my atheist friend says something mean to me on Facebook. What persecution? And it's like, <laughs> you do realize that the, the idea of going into the streets and telling someone in, in, in solitude, did you know that Caesar's not Lord? It was enough to get your head cut off. Like, it's just like, it's it's one of those things where it's not to check your privilege moment, but it's like, check your gospel readings, you know? <laughs> like, right, check, check, right. You know, consider what you're, so, I mean, Paul's gospel in Romans isn't about justification or getting away from hell or anything like that. And on the flip side, it's not about enforcing propaganda or easy believism or whatever passes for buzzwords. You know, like instead of buzz feeding the gospel, we need to understand what the gospel is. And so uh, I'm going to try this. I don't know if you're going to try this. I'm going to try this. Uh, a single sentence of appropriate length. So I'm not talking a Germanic entire page uh, to describe the gospel in Romans. So here I go. You ready for this? All right, give it to us. The gospel in Romans in one sentence is what? The gospel in Romans is the power of God over and against Caesar by means of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ our Lord, who shows no partiality to toward anybody and accepts all who are faithful and obedient and exercise allegiance to King Jesus and to King Jesus alone. Well, man, that's a that's a pretty good single sentence definition. Um, I'm I'm not going to try <laughs> it this time, um, but maybe in uh, in a future episode, I'll share my own um, Paul inspired run on sentence definition of the gospel according to Paul from a paper that I wrote uh, in seminary. But I'll save that nice. for a future episode. Uh, before we close, I just it, it's important to me to talk about why um, I think it's so vital that we get this right and especially why, why it's so important that we get it right now uh, because this is in my view this is more than just theological semantics right this is more than just ivory tower debate over the precise meanings of biblical words i think this has very real world application um, in terms of what is happening in our nation and in our world right now and let me give you an example um if you over the past few days uh, on Twitter, I, I've seen, you know, it, it, not just the past few days, but it's been prominent the past few days. It's really been the past few years. This whole, um, you know, pe- Christians will start talking about like the sins of racism and, and calling attention to to um, systematic injustice, uh, even within the church. And, and well, you know, well-meaning Christians, I, I really believe they're well-meaning. They respond with things like. Hey, you don't need to talk about racism, just preach the gospel. You don't need to talk about um, sexism or sexual abuse, just preach the gospel. As if the gospel is separate from these things. Um, And the problem is is that sort of mentality is based on this idea that the gospel is is reduced merely to justification. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, and, and that matters of ethics are somehow subordinate or, or sec, uh, uh, secondarily important um, to these things. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, 
Now you're good. I'll take another sip and, and uh, I'm talk about my whiskey for five seconds. Here we but, go. Uh, mm, tasty. <laughs> yeah, tasty. Uh, but but as as we're gonna see uh, as we've already seen and as we're gonna see in future episodes, even for Paul, matters of ethics uh, were were gospel issues, right? And so if we get the gospel wrong, if we if we reduce the gospel merely to justification or merely to going to heaven when we die, we miss the fact that things like racism and things like sexism and things like um, you know uh, economic injustice. And as we're going to see, and I really believe, were gospel issues to Paul. So to so to dismiss these issues and just say, oh, we'll just preach the gospel, I think it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel actually was um, in terms of full-throated, full-life, um, you know, embodied allegiance and loyalty to Jesus um, in, in this life as well and not just going to heaven. So... I know that I sound like a broken record with some of this stuff, but I really do think it's important, and I really do think it has actual, real-world ramifications in terms of how we engage the world around us. And if we if we miss the gospel, if we water it down, if we re- if we overly simplify it or overly narrow it, um, we end up missing very real aspects of the gospel that we need to be addressing. No, ab- absolutely. And while Galatians is not Romans, Paul does tackle this very strongly. The idea of segregating uh table fellowship and uh i mean you have that famous uh text in galatians in christ or in the messiah there's neither slave nor free uh june i'm butchering the order june or greek slave nor free no male and female for all of your one in christ jesus and this entire the entire letter of galatians is an assault on the idea of separating ethics and theology like gospel and theology, or ethics and the gospel. Yeah, there we go. Ethics and the gospel. And so what you're saying, I think, is absolutely necessary. Because if you preach the gospel the way a lot of people kind of say what the gospel is, you're not going to be able to tackle issues of racism or injustice. But if you tack, if you preach the gospel, that is, that in Christ, under Christ's lordship, there is no partiality or preference given to male or female, black or white, and so on and so forth. With that gospel in mind, you are free to address issues of real injustice and Dare I say it? Sin in the world. You know what I mean? Amen. Uh, exactly. And I and that again. You know, we're 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 using some high level theological language or some of this stuff, and, and we're parsing some 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 Greek words and all of that. But but there really is very specific real world application that comes from this. And if if we get the gospel wrong on this, we end up uh, missing what really are gospel issues. And we'll get into that in some future episodes. Um, we're, we're running close to an hour now, so we'll, we'll bring it to a close. I uh, want to definitely thank all of you once again for listening to this episode of the Synergist Podcasts. If you like what you've heard uh, in this episode or previous, please uh, jump on over to our um, Patreon uh, account. Gosh, and, I hate uh, you so much. You can't get it right. <laughs> I told you from now on, I'm not even going to try. Our, our, um, our Patreon account. Uh, there we go. And, yes. and I did. I, I can say it now. I've been practicing. Um, <laughs> uh, contribute over there. Uh, you know, we, we would, really would love for this to become a full-time gig. Uh, we'd love to work our way towards maybe a free theology conference, but that can only uh, happen if uh, we get some, some more support. Again, this uh, uh, we, we, we got bills to pay, uh, as they say. Uh, we love doing this, but uh, in order for it to um, become a... Um, 
more regular thing. We, you know, we have we've got to make sure that we can. Uh, we've got wives, and I've got kids, and all that. So anyway, um, if you if you like what we're doing, and, and you are if you have the means and the ability and the willingness, we'd love to uh, have some more patrons. Um, and uh, we're we're trying to put together some things so that we can get our first. Um, Oh, what are we calling it? Our, happy uh, hour. Happy yes, hour. Yes, 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 yes. Our ha- yes. first happy hour. Uh, to our the, patron, yeah, to our patrons who have stuck with us. I'm sorry, our patrons who have stuck <laughs> with us. Who have stuck with us. It is on the way uh, with uh, with job interviews and the National Guard calling us. You know, country and service calls. You know, we got to do that. So, um, but yeah, and so we've got our four patrons so far. Uh, and so if you're willing to, you know, join them, hop on over to Patreon and help us. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Nick Quint, Q-U-I-E-N-T, and Thomas L. Horrocks. I'm not going to spell that because it's too long. And if you don't mind, theolo- of course, if you don't mind uh, theological snark and cat gifts or slightly funny memes that only make sense to us, uh, Thomas's Twitter sabbatical has finally ended. <laughs> and he's back in the social media saddle in full force, for better or worse, if depending on what side of the aisle you're on. And you don't want to miss that. Uh, and so also, if you like the alternative voice we have uh, amongst the ocean, as we say, of Reform Podcast, and I'm looking at you, Reform Podcast, uh, please pray and consider just helping us out. Sharing this is uh, really helpful. Liking us and telling your friends about it. Uh, that's a big deal for us. And just getting shout outs, like I said, from the Minion Stew Cigar Review is a, a big boost. That was really cool and all these sorts of things. So it's really cool just to have people engaging with us. So thank you so far for that. It's been a, it's been a blast just getting to know a bunch of different people. Well, hey, and if you if you can uh, give us an honest five star review on uh, iTunes, that would be awesome. We've got a few on there, but if you want to help us get this content out uh, to more people, uh, we'd, we'd certainly appreciate that. Any kind of sharing or reviews you can do for us, it would be um, phenomenal. We're we're up to twelve um, uh, iTunes, reviews on iTunes so far. Um, so if you can bring us up uh, higher than that, we would we would certainly appreciate it. Yeah, basically, we need you to offset the almost certain influx of one-star reviews we're going to get from the podcast or from Desiring God or from anyone else. Uh, and so <laughs> we want to thank you again for listening to the Synergist podcast, the most man-centered theology podcast on the Internet. And as you all know, this is because of God's providence. Yeah.